This is Way Family Church, and you're listening to our sermon podcast. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030. We meet at Lawford Middle School in Tucson, Arizona. For more information about who we are, upcoming events, or if you'd like to connect, visit us online at www.wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready, and let's begin. I was thinking the other day, sometimes I'll listen to my sermons. You know, it's really awkward to hear yourself. I don't know if you've ever done that. I'd like to apologize for not speaking good English. I say did when I should say does. I say all kinds of weird things and I just can't help it. I think it's obviously a personal problem, right? (laughs) It it could be that, that just, you know, English as my second language is just hard for me. It could be that I've had too many concussions, which I have. I mean, like, man, I'm far from great, that's for sure, that, you know? It got me thinking, and I'll ask you this. What makes a man great? Not whether or not he makes mistakes when he speaks, probably. But let's see, let's, uh, let's have interactive congregation here. Let's interactive church. What makes a man great? What would you say makes a man great? God-fearing? Big heart? Compassion, humility. service, humility, kindness. kindness. Ooh, fruit, good fruit. Amen. Okay, let's flip the page because all of you guys are sanctified, apparently. <laughs> all right? Which I'm really proud of you for. What do you think makes a man great according to the standards of the world? Power. Power. Success, wealth, right? Is that I hear money? What's that? Influence, loyalty. Power, yes. What else? Family, yeah. Actually, heritage is huge. Oh, the physique is important. More power, yeah. You know, maybe a deeper voice that makes a man great. Yeah, actually... Good answers. What about uh, ability? You know, I've, I'm far from great when it comes to speaking English. But maybe it's artistic ability. Maybe it's athletic ability. Maybe it's uh, just your ability to kind of schmooze people, you know, to, to sweet talk your way through trouble. There's a lot of people who are really great at that. What makes a man great? It's a good question for us to ask. How about let's turn the page a little bit. What makes a woman great? Let's hear the sanctified answer. Compassion, gentle spirit, a servant's heart, heart, kindness. Did you say menacing? (laughs) Not yet sanctified. All right. (laughs) That's awesome. What else? Huh? Submissive. Wow. Okay. Let's turn the page. According to the world, what makes a woman great? Love, looks, authority, yeah, (laughs) cooking, bro, that's a good answer. In fact, let me share something with you. Did you guys ever watch that movie Mulan? You haven't seen Mulan? There's a scene where the guys are like in training, getting ready for battle, and they bust out in song form, a song called A Girl Worth Fighting For. 
Now, according to these guys, this is what makes a great woman. A girl worth fighting for. Can I read you the lyrics, at least to some of the, some of the song? Listen to this. I want her paler than the moon, with eyes that shine like stars. My girl will marvel at my strength, adore my battle scars. One says, I couldn't care less what she'll wear or what she looks like. It all depends on what she cooks like. <laughs> my girl will think I have no faults, that I'm a major find. I like that line. And then Mulan actually says, uh, how about a girl who's got a brain, who always speaks her mind? What does everyone say? Nah. nah. <laughs> you see, this sounds silly. It sounds humorous. But this really is what many consider greatness in a woman or greatness in a man, as we listed a few things. You know, but, uh, but the standards of of greatness according to the criteria that's given to us by the word of God and the kingdom of God is very upside down, very different from the criteria that we see in the world. And I think these are really good questions for us to ask. What makes a man great? What makes a woman great? What makes a person great, right? Because if we consider these standards that we looked into, specifically the world standards for greatness, you know, even Jesus wouldn't add up to that. You think about who he was. Even Jesus would not qualify as a great person for all, if, you, if you listed all of that criteria. Remember, he was born to an ordinary family. Nothing great there. In the, in the pork and beans, if you would, in Nazareth, uh, an unpopular town. And you know what else? When he grew up, he didn't have a business. He didn't have capital. He didn't have money. He didn't have that, that status fame that, that a lot of people looked for, that thing that was obvious. He didn't have cattle. He didn't have sheep. He didn't have a house. He didn't even have a tent. Look at what Matthew 8, chapter 20 says about Jesus. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his hand. And so by earthly st uh, standards, Jesus probably wouldn't measure up to the world's greatness. Do you see that? He had very little in possessions and almost nothing of what the world would consider greatness. But yet, He's the greatest man that ever lived. Amen? There's no doubt about that. And so, therefore, we can say that this is not actually greatness. Wealth, status, strength, a deeper voice, good physique, right? No, what she cooks like. That's not the actual status for greatness. And so the question is, what is greatness according to the word of the Lord? What is greatness according to the kingdom of God? Let me ask you another question. Pop quiz. We'll see if you've read your Bible. Other than Jesus, who do you consider would have been the greatest man that ever lived? Other than Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. Interactive church, come on. John the Baptist. Anybody second that or have a different opinion? Isaiah. John. Abraham. Interesting. Well, you know what? I'm... Just really proud of you, church. You guys have all the right answers. It's like you know your Bibles. You know, who do you say <clears throat> that the greatest man ever was? Did you know that some of you guys answered correctly? It is indeed John the Baptist. You know why? Because Jesus said so. He's this, he said that John was the greatest. Look at Matthew 11, 11. 
He says, truly, this is when John's disciples came to him to ask and inquire. He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is interesting. So it's not Noah, it's not Abraham, it's not Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and all of the heroic figures that you see in the Old Testament. He said, among all of them, no one is greater than John the Baptist until now. Obviously, here comes Jesus, the greatest ever. And so he continues in saying this, actually, and this is very important. Let's look at this. He gives a reasoning, and he gives a key for us to really learn from. He said, yet no one who is, yet, sorry, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's, that's a good, good reason there, good explanation there. So in the kingdom of God, and this is what I really need you guys to understand. This is pretty much what this is all about here. In the kingdom of God, the lowliest member, the most humble and God-serving is greater than the greatest man who ever lived. Do you want to be great? Get low. Do you want to, do you want to measure up to godly greatness? Humble yourself before the Lord. Do you see how it's an, it's an upside-down kingdom here? And so turn with me to chapter, or to, to chapter 3 of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse 1 through 6. Here Matthew introduces the one whom Jesus said was the greatest man up until Jesus. So let's look at that account. Turn with me. Matthew chapter 3, we'll, we'll focus on verse 1 through 6, and it says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful opportunity, this gift, Father, to be able to come together, Lord, and hear from your word. Lord, I ask that you would help me just remove myself from here, Lord Jesus, and that I would just be a conduit for you, Lord that your word, Father, would instruct us, would rebuke us, would encourage us, would do what it is designed to do in our hearts, and that we would grow, Father, in your likeness. And so speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Awesome. So today's sermon title is Godly Greatness. We'll look into what it means to be great in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the account of, the, of John the Baptist is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, which to me, it tells me this is important. We need to learn something from John here. Jesus said that no one has arisen greater than John. And I like to say that this implies that John was not only greater than all the biblical heroes that we hear about, you know, throughout the pages of the Old Testament, but he's also greater than those who were political leaders in the day, those who you would consider ha would ha that would have been great in their time. So greater than kings, greater than emperors, greater than Herod, you know, greater than, uh, than, than anyone who's leading there, greater than any philosopher and greater than any teacher at the time. Jesus says no one has arisen who's greater than him. Now, the, I think the instinctual question that comes to mind is what makes him so great? Sometimes it's just not so obvious, so let's look into that. What makes John the Baptist so great? 
After all, like Jesus, John was also born into a simple family. It's not evident. It's not obvious. What makes him so great? Just a reminder, quick little background about John. He was the son of a priest named Zacharias, and his mother was Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary. Now, I always, always thought that they were cousins, direct cousins, but just as a little tidbit, nugget, I didn't even plan on sharing this with you, I, I don't know that they were actually cousins. I don't see that in the scriptures. All I see is that they were related because Elizabeth was of the line of Levi and Mary of Judah. And so there's some kind of relationship there because it is told that there is, and it is possible for them to be related, but I don't know how closely related. Here's the point, though. They were in relationship. They knew each other well. They were family. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John. But the fact of the matter is that if you look at these two families, there's really nothing extraordinary about them. You know, in the gospel according to Luke, that's actually the one that gives us a lot more insight about who John was. It gives us a lot more insight about how he came to be. It tells us more about Zacharias and tells us more about Elizabeth. And it, and it tells us that he grew up like a normal kid at home. So John was nothing extraordinary, if you would. I think the one thing that does set him apart, though, is that once he gets into his young ad uh, adulthood, so I'm, I'm going to imagine teen years, he goes out and lives on his own in the wilderness, you know, like to me, that sounds crazy. Like, why would you do that? And I know that to some of you, that sounds like a dream to get out of town and just go live in the woods somewhere. This is what John opted to do. So that's a little bit of what we know. He actually grows up, not grows up, but he, in his youth, he lives so much like a hermit. To me, that's weird. You know, to some of you guys, that's great. Yet Luke chapter 1, 15 says of him that, he will be great before the Lord. And so John is going to be great. But how is John so great? Well, first and foremost, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's review really quick what Matthew has been telling us because John is another part of that validation spree that comes from Matthew. He's a part of that. So quick review. In chapter 1, Jesus' is kingship. Remember, Matthew opens up validating the fact that Jesus is king. Jesus' kingship is validated by his birth, by his genealogy, and by the fact that he was miraculously conceived. Those are the prophecies that he had fulfilled right there in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Jesus' king, kingship is validated by the events such as the visit of the wise men, uh, Herod's hatred for him actually validated his kingship, and then the, also the sequence of events that uh, transpired to protect him from the threat. So born in Bethlehem, out of Egypt, a Nazarene. So all of those validated, all of this validated Jesus as the king. And so now as we begin and we enter into chapter 3, Jesus' kingship is once again validated, and this time through John, through the life of John. So John's pretty important. If you ever get a chance to be part of that prophecy that validates the king, that instantaneously makes you pretty important. And so the greatest man who had ever yet lived, yet until Jesus shows up, he's, he's, his, one of his marks of greatness is the fact that he was a herald. Do you know what a herald is? Hark! Jesus is coming, or the king is coming, proclaimer of the, one, of the one who is greater than he. That was the herald. This was the role of John the Baptist. You know, back in the days, kings of, of the kings and queens, anytime a king visited a new nation or anytime he traveled, there was a, uh, an entourage that, that, that actually 
preceded him. It went before him. And that entourage, the, the main guy was the herald. So if you can imagine John the Baptist being this guy for the entourage of Jesus, if you would. But remember, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. So normally, a kingdom would really parade. They would really flaunt the riches and their powers and to show off the, their greatness. That's what they would do. But the kingdom of God is different. Instead of pride, it's humility. Instead of pomp, it's meekness. And so this is John, but that's what they did. In fact, if you can imagine a, a big entourage coming in before the king, big festivity, big parade, one of the things that they would do, in addition to just proclaiming the arrival of the coming of the king, let's say, they would also prepare the roads. So if there were potholes, they would fill them. If there was debris in the, debris in the path, they would remove it. If there was a rock or a stone or if it just wasn't wide enough, they would make a way so that the entourage fits. So this is kind of like a roads construction crew, if you would. Much like this. Let me show you a clip. didn't you? You thought, oh, this is now movie time. No, but this was a good illustration of what that entourage looked like. This is what preparing the way looked like. You see that? There was heralds out there saying, make way, make way. In this particular, uh, uh, let's say, uh, il il illustration, the genie was the herald, okay? So you get a, a, an idea of what that looked like to be a herald. Now, here's what I want you guys to understand. This is what's important for us to understand. Great men and great women prepare the way of the Lord. We're talking about the King Jesus, Jesus Christ. They prepare the way for him to be known in all his splendor and his majesty. Something like that, but not really. Preparing the way in that you're about to announce the greatest person that has ever come, you know, that has ever lived. You're going to hype him up. You're going to truly express him for who he really is. Great men and women point others to Christ. Great people make much of Jesus. That's a mark of greatness in our lives. We need to do that as, as people who have been called to herald the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. So now let's look closer into John's life. What is Matthew showing us here? I, I chose six verses for a reason, because there's so much for us to learn from, from the, just the life of John. So let's look at that first verse. The first thing I want to look at is the man, uh, into the man himself. 
John the Baptist. Who is this guy and why is he so great? Verse 1 says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, it starts with in those days. This is a transition phrase right here. It's a transition between the time that Jesus was a child and the time that he begins his ministry. So at this point, what is it, 28, 29 years has passed. Jesus is now around 30 years old when he begins his ministry. So that's what that says. In those days, in the days that Jesus begins to minister says, John the Baptist came preaching. John, a common Jewish name. Again, nothing extraordinary. In fact, if you didn't know this, John means Jehovah or Yahweh is gracious. It's a good name. You know, in fact, this was the way that he was named was kind of miraculous because Zacharias became mute. He couldn't say anything. And the Lord had told him, you're going to name him John. In fact, uh, we read this in... Um, in, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Elizabeth will know and says, his name's going to be John. And that's when Zachariah's mouth is open. So again, this is John. Okay, we're looking at him so far, so good. But then he's referred to as the Baptist, John the Baptist. Now this, I know you know this, but just to make sure, this doesn't mean that he came from the Baptist convention or denomination. Okay. This doesn't mean that if you want to be great, you have to be a Baptist. Although that probably wouldn't hurt if you're like legit, if you actually know what that, that means. The word Baptist comes from this guy. You know what I mean? What this means is that John was a baptizer. John's main ministry was to baptize people. And if we know what baptism is, it's an expression of an outward conviction, of an inward conviction, and it's an outward expression of an inward conviction. We get baptized not to be saved, but we get baptized because we have been saved. It's a proclamation of what the Lord has done, a, a public proclamation. This was his principal ministry. This is what he devoted himself to. You know, this guy, uh, again, we know him as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. His whole purpose, the whole purpose that was given to him was actually to be great. So here's a point that I'd like to make. John wasn't great by his own means. He was great because he was called to greatness. God is who makes us great. You do not make yourself great. Anytime that you go and you try and attempt to make yourself great by stepping up with that pride, with those abilities, with those uh, just instincts that the world calls for you for greatness, you're not being great. It is the Lord himself who raises you up, who raises you up to measure to the measure of greatness according to his word. And so here he is, John the baptizer. His purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. That's awesome. This is the herald that the Lord chose for the introduction of the king. Let me ask you this. Did you know that you have also been purposed in this way? You have also been purposed in the way that John was to prepare the way of the Lord. There are so many people in your communities, in your families, your, your neighborhoods who have not heard of the Lord. And if they have, they probably have a misrepresentation of that. They probably have a, a, a misunderstanding of who Jesus really is because there's so many versions of Jesus, but there's only one true Jesus, and it's the one that we read of here in the scriptures. The scriptures are consistent. They are clear. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is God himself in the flesh. This is not the offspring of God. This is not someone who measured up to God. This is God taking on humanity. That's what the Bible teaches. This is the call that we have been given to prepare the way, to help people understand this to the best of our abilities. God will do the rest. You know, here's the thing about John. 
He didn't achieve greatness by his own means, but he submitted. He achieved it by humility. He achieved it through just being inferior, if you would. But don't mistake meekness for weakness. You've heard that. We're not going to look at it today, but John was able to stand his ground. He was not a pushover. Humble, yes. Pushover, no. We'll see that next week, right? And so, do you want to be great? Who here wants to be great? Who here wants to experience, you know, what it means to be great according to the, the ways of the Lord? Well, I'll tell you what, it is the Lord who makes you great. Submit to the Lord, learn from him, grow in him. That's a good step towards godly greatness. And so we continue, as Matthew tells us that John is a baptizer, he says that he came. That means that, that he began his public ministry. Remember, he was a kind of a recluse, a hermit in the wilderness. This is the time. You know, too often, we sometimes don't know when our time is. We know that we've been called to something, and we kind of just hold and hold and hold and hold, and, and, and that might be good. I'm not just telling you, go and jump in without thinking and without preparing. I'm, that's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is that there's a time. So if you're, if you're thinking like, man, I think it's the time, go. You know, God makes that clear, but sometimes the flesh fights it. But in this case, if I were to guess, I'm thinking that John was very much an introvert. I don't know how he would have lived in the wilderness so long, but he knew his ministry. He was no longer a hermit, no longer isolated. John has come out to fulfill his calling. John has come out to do what is the will of the Lord, and he does this through preaching. Now, that may not look the same for everyone, okay? Don't be intimidated. Not everyone's called to preach. But that word for preaching is actually caruso in the Greek, and it means to herald. He was called to proclaim good news. He was called to prepare the way of the Lord through words, through speaking, through a message. John steps out to do precisely what he was made to do in the time that was allotted for him to do. He knew the time. He knew that Jesus' ministry was about to begin. And so he went out and he did exactly what he was made to do. But what did, Jesus, what did John preach? Excuse me, Because what his message was was very important. If he's a herald, what did he proclaim? The message that you proclaim matters. Some of you guys don't realize this, but you guys are herald for some kind of message. And you might be heralding a message that's entirely meaningless, entirely useless. The, me the message that you herald matters. So what did John preach? Let's look at his message. Let's look at the message here. This is verse 2. Look at this. So simple yet profound. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. What is this? Repent. That is to turn away from sin and to turn away from, or turn towards God. That means to completely have a change of heart. It is more than regret and it is more than sorrow. So many times I have felt very regretful and sorrowful, not because I committed a sin, but because I got caught. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just sorry, because you got caught. No. But if I had the opportunity to commit the same mistake, I probably would, you know? Like you kind of say that in your mind. That is not the same. To have remorse, regret, or sorrow is not the same to actually repent. Let's make no mistake of that. He says repent. That is to actually change, to turn around, because remorse, sorrow, regret is not repentance. And we can be deceived because we do feel sorry sometimes. You know what? I'm really sorry, but... I will still keep doing what I did, and I just hope that you don't see it next time. 
That's not repentance. Look, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, a good example. It says, for you know that afterward, and what the, the, the author of Hebrews is saying here, he's actually speaking about Esau and how he had sold his birthright for just a single meal. Okay, so he says, you know that afterward, after Esau sold it, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So you see that there's remorse there, there's sorrow, but there's no repentance. You see that? Don't mistake the two. Repentance means you turn around. That means you change directions. That means that you change the mind, the will as well. It means you be different you do different. Repentance is change. It could be a slow progressive change. It could be immediate, but repentance means I hate that I did that and I will not do it again. I will be different. So it's to go from sin to holiness. It's not just to feel sorry about it. Not to say that sorrow is bad. That's the first step to it, okay? Sorrow is good, but it's not a complete and true repentance in itself. I hope you understand that. So the message here, the, the overall, if you were to sum, sum it up, it is experience a genuine change, be converted, be different, be new. Go from the path that leads to death, then destruction to the path that leads to life. That is the message that John is proclaiming. He's proclaiming everyone to repent. You know, that's a very hard thing to do. Have you tried calling someone to repentance? Most often, they look at you like a hypocrite. You repent, you know? Why don't you change? Why don't you be different? Christians, if we're going to call people to repent, we need to be the first ones to submit to the Lord, repent from our ways, and follow him. How can you lead someone where you've never been? You can't do that. And so this message, this call to repentance, is urgent, it's hard, it requires a lot of humility. You know, it's easier to hear it from someone who truly has repented, who truly has been changed by the word of the Lord, who truly is walking according to his will. It is so difficult to hear repent from someone who's walking in sin deliberately. Do you see the difference? It requires submission. It requires humility. And this is an urgent matter. John's message was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom and the, the king are really close. They're near. You don't have time to really think about it, to take a, re a retreat, to think about whether or not you should repent. No, repent because he's here. Repent because you're running out of time. And I'll tell you what, if you're not changed, if you're not converted, let's say from death to life, the kingdom of God will be your greatest problem rather than your greatest reward. Amen. Don't make the mistake to think, oh, all hunky and dory. God is good. God is great. It doesn't matter how I live my life. When he comes, we're all going to be taken up to heaven, and we're all going to be great. God is just. God is just as much as he is merciful and loving and kind. So when we repent, he is faithful to forgive us and to graft us in. And so when the kingdom of heaven comes, we will rejoice. We will look forward to that day. We will not be frightened, but we will be excited for that moment. But if we do not repent, if we do not have a changed heart, that's going to be your worst nightmare. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is good. It is important. And great and godly people proclaim this message, but they do it in love, desiring that no one would perish. That's why you do it. We don't want anyone to perish. Do you know what I mean? 
great and godly people proclaim this also out of obedience. We do this because we're commanded to do this according to the word of the Lord. This is the very mission that we've been in task in doing. Now let's look at that. Let's look at the mission, the great mission, the great commission. John's mission is very similar to what the Lord has imparted to us. Great and godly people are always on mission. Amen? This side's on mission. This side is not. Amen. All right. What was the great man's mission? Look at verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is straight out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Verse 3, excuse me, his mission, if you kept reading that passage in Isaiah, was to make the peaks low and to make the valleys high so that there was a straight path for people to be able to come to Jesus. The mission is to prepare the way so that the potholes are filled, filled so that any obstacles in the path are removed so that people do not have an excuse not to know and see the Lord for who he truly is. That means that you might have to do some work in your life. That means that you probably have to address your personal circumstances before you go and address someone else's. You know, Jesus speaks to this in in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you consider the speck in your brother's eye and not address the log in yours? You know what I mean? We have to we have to understand what we've been called to. This is the mission that has been given to all of us. And in addition to that, John specifically is designed and created to prepare the way of Jesus in the flesh. Wow, what a calling. How beautiful. So Isaiah had long described John the Baptist's arrival and had long described his mission. But in a nutshell, again, the mission is to proclaim the coming of the king to prepare the way of the Lord. How can you do that? How are you doing that? You know, it starts with an intimate relationship with God and then it, it, it kind of just happens naturally. Because if you're listening, if you're reading, if you're obeying, you're doing. That's what obeying is, amen? Great people know the great mission, and they live according to it. They're faithful to it. Let's move on. That's the, the, the mission. And so, what? Let's see. Okay. But part of the mission is also to call people out to repentance, right? And again, that's really a hard thing to do. It's easier said than done. It's no easy task. And again, this is just one thing that we must consider, not just consider, we must must really understand, because this could be the death to us if we do not have humility. Great people have great humility. Humility is another piece of the puzzle here. It's another part of being godly, or experiencing godly greatness, if you do not have great humility, you are not getting it. That means that you're having a hard time submitting to the Lord. That means that you're not maybe effective as you should be because you're deterring rather than drawing. You're actually throwing obstacles in the path rather than removing them. You're actually creating potholes in the path rather than filling them. Great humility prepares the way, it clears the path. Look at verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair. Hmm, very pretty. And the leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Mm -mm. Did anybody bring some of that today? Yes. Yes. Should try the locusts today. 
He, might have, he, he was a sight to see, I'll tell you this. I have a theory that this whole uh, Sasquatch theory and conspiracies and whatnot, that he started it, that someone saw him running through the, the wilderness, you know? It's like, what was that? This was a humble man in the sense that he wasn't overly concerned about his appearance. This was a humble man in that he just took what he needed. He was focused. He wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. It wasn't about being pampered. It wasn't about being comfortable, per se. It was about doing what he was called to do. You know, for someone who claimed to be God's messenger, for someone who claimed to be the Messiah's herald, he sure didn't look like it, at least not according to the world standards. He looked very different. Remember, this is an upside-down kingdom. That means that the herald of the kingdom of God would look like the least of everyone. That's what, make John, that's what made John great, is that he, he even looked like the least of everyone. There was great humility here. He was focused on what was important. He was focused on the kingdom of God, not worldly riches. His focus was Jesus. And then we'll read here uh, next week that he even was able to call out people because he lived it and he walked it. He wasn't hypocritical. He was genuine. And the, the result of that is that people knew that he was genuine. They believed him. They knew that John was legitimate, and they knew that his humility was evident. Obviously, everyone could see that. And by the way, John's purpose was not to turn people to be like him. He didn't say, if you, need to, you need to wear camel skins and leather belts and eat locusts. That wasn't it. His, his, his purpose was not to draw people to be like him. His purpose was to draw people to be like Jesus. He kept getting the attention off of him. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. He kept saying, there's someone who's greater than I. There's someone who's great. Who are you, John? Are you Elijah? Are you an amazing prophet? And people almost got to that point of worship for John because of the amazing things that he would say and the powerful ministry that he had. But John was like, it's not about me. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. You know, this is awesome humility. He took the spotlight off of himself continuously, and he made a way for the Lord. He made himself lowly. He made himself humble. He even, say, he even said, the one that I'm preparing the way for, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's humility. You know, that's genuine. And we are called to be humble too. As people who share the same message, mission, we must also share in this humility. Look at James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself and he will exalt you. It's an upside down kingdom, right? Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive them their sin and heal their land. If you humble yourselves, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. Let me show you this, this image here. You get a glimpse of it. Man, it's something so real and it's so good and we miss it often. The kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God. Check this out. To be a leader, you have to be a servant. To become, uh, uh, let's see, yeah, to be a leader, you must be a servant. To find life, you must die to self. Instead of hating our enemies, you must love your enemies. This is so backwards, isn't it? It, it, it? To gain much, you must give much. And to be great, you must be humble. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And then finally, we'll look at what happens, the result of it, verses 6, or excuse me, 5 through 6. This is what happens. Then Jerusalem, it says, 
and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, out to John, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. You know what this is saying? This is saying that people were hearing about John. They were hearing that there's an awesome message here to hear, and they were going, and they were listening, and they were being called out to repent, and you know what else? They were being saved. The result of this mission, of this message of great humility is salvation. It's the expansion of the kingdom. And they weren't just being saved where it was like, yeah, I believe and I confess. No, they were going and they were being baptized. They were making that public declaration of the change that they had experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what made John such a great minister. He's great in that he had great humility And as a result, he had a great ministry. His ministry was to prepare hearts, minds, lives to meet Jesus. And he was really good at that. A great godly person does that. So let me give you some takeaways and wrap it up tonight or today. A great person, according to the Lord's standards, proclaims a great message. What message do you proclaim? A great godly person proclaims a great message of the message of the gospel, the message of repentance, reconciliation, restoration. Christ came, he died, he was buried, he lives. And he lives that you would live. That's a great message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, a great person is faithful to the great mission. Are you preparing the way? Are you making the path straight for others to come to know Christ? Or are you putting obstacles in the path, you know? Three, a great person has great humility, exercises great humility. And then finally, that results in a great ministry. This is godly greatness, amen? And so now I want to take you back in closing to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, once again, where Jesus spoke of John the Baptist. Let's look at it now with a little bit more insight. He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Look at this. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You can be greater than John the Baptist by being least. You can be greater than by being lesser than. Do you see how that works? It's amazing. It's incredible. But you know what? No one. No one is greater than Jesus. Let me just remind you this, and I'll show you how no one is greater than Jesus. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, the lowliest member, the most humble, and God serving is greater than the greatest man who ever lived. We are called to do that. Yet no one is greater than Jesus because he is who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Look what he did. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was a humiliating thing. But he humbled himself to that degree. And look at the result. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, King of kings, 
Lord of Lords, the great and mighty King Jesus. Amen.